0: So uh, it's great to be here with you. I love It's been, been a few years since I've been here and preached on a Sunday and I love what you guys have done in here. I know that's a big commitment, a lot of work to update the facilities and there's a lot of stuff you don't even see that goes on. I've been there. And uh, so uh, that is wonderful. This is beautiful in here and uh, what a great worship time this morning, man. I just I love it. So I'm glad to be here. And I'm going to share God's word with you this morning, Exodus chapter 17. And uh, I'll, as you turn there, I'll say we go way back with Brad and Marcy. Uh, my wife and Marcy actually knew each other since what about first grade, maybe something like that. So way back, I don't go quite that far back, but I will say I had hair when I met them. So it's you know <laughs> been a while, so it's good. Uh, Exodus chapter seventeen. I, I was preaching at a church Fourth um, of July weekend, and uh, while that that morning they they sang a song, and uh, it's not a, maybe you guys sing it's not a song I hear a lot done in church anymore, and it sort of brought something up in my mind that sort of led down the path of uh, this message you'll hear this morning. They sang a song on 4th of July weekend and, and it went like this. You'll know it. I won't sing it, but I'll, I'll, here's the words. Onward Christian soldiers yes. marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. That cross of Jesus going on before. Wow. Cross the royal master leads against the foe, Forward into battle. See his what? Banners go. It was this idea of banners that caught my ear. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. And that piqued my interest along with another thing or two. And sort of led me down this this path of of talking and and studying about the Lord and, and, and banners in the Scripture. And of course, I'm familiar with this term as the Lord is my banner. I'm familiar, was familiar with the term Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. Uh, I was familiar with that, but I wanted to dig in a little deeper on it. And so I did. And as I thought about banners, um, it, it, it made me think it's very interesting because we use banners in our day. We still do. Um, you know, we see college football banners. I think we've got some pictures here. Uh, I hope, I think we do. Um, you know, there we go. Um, you know, everybody looks forward to that day. Some look forward to this day, <laughs> all right, okay, we'll cover both. And then some have looked forward to this day, we've already done this. My son plays football for UAB. My wife took that picture. So, you know, we've got our banners, right? And banners, they sort of unify us. They, they, they motivate us, right? They go out before. We wave them after. We wave them during this the game or, or the battle, so to speak. They motivate us. Oftentimes, though, banners also, they remind us as well. Here was one I pulled just like the Chicago Bulls. Everybody was into Michael Jordan right this spring. So the banners, we hang them in the rafters to remember past championships. Um, And so it's it's something that remembers. They inspire us as well. Uh, We've got some pictures here from historical context. right? That's inspiring. Iwo Jima is something we look back on and we remember a great victory uh, that God brought for us, but then also, it can, banners can also, flags can bring up images and embroil and controversy and, and really stir up uh, negative thoughts and, and, and passions within us as well. So, banners, even in this day, they, they still bring um, a lot of meaning to us. Well, they were like us as well. The Hebrew word nisi, translated banner, means a war flag, it's an emblem of, of victory in the midst of a battle which could fly before, during, and after a battle is fought and won. And so to say the Lord is our banner means He goes before us, He is with us, and He goes ahead of us as well. And so we go to Exodus chapter 17 to sort of see the context of this, and we're going to just sort of work our way through this passage this morning. And, uh, and, and talk about it as we go. So take your Bible, Exodus chapter 17, we'll have it up for you, but if you can follow along in your scripture, I think it would uh, be good for you. Now up until this time, we're talking about the children of Israel, there's been a few things happen. They were in slavery, you know, for all of those years, and God sent Moses to liberate them. And you remember he had the rod and threw it down and the snakes, you know, you remember all that. Then also they come to this, as they're leaving, they come to, this, to the Red Sea and God, he has this rod and he lifts this rod and God parts the rods, the, the Red Sea, For them and delivers them from this uh, Egyptian bondage then you remember they come on to this uh, wilderness this place called Mara and it was an oasis of water they were very thirsty out in the desert and I've been down in that part of the world I've been in those deserts it's very hot uh, it's very humid it's very dry and they tasted those waters and the waters were bitter they were undrinkable but God put his finger in the water and he turned it into the sweetest water on earth then they came to a place called Elam and there they were starving because they had no food, but God came through and He began to rain, rain down manna from heaven until their stomachs were full. We remember this. And then they come on to another place called Syene, and they come there and they're still grumbling, and now they're complaining because they're still hungry, and they're almost saying, let's go back to Egypt. At least we had food there. You guys know the story. Well, then they come to a place called Rephidim. And again, they're dying of thirst, but there was no water, bitter or sweet. And God told Moses to take that rod and strike the rock and Horeb as they moved on with his rod and water would come forth. Well, Moses did that uh, and the rock became a fountain of fresh water. So the point is up to this point, when we pick up here in Exodus chapter 17, the point is that God had given them protection and had given them provision every step of the way as he led them into the promised land. Now, we're only just a few days removed here from the fact that they had crossed the Red Sea and left Egyptian bondage. Just a few short days. They've got years and decades ahead of them, as we know. But they're just a few short days. But God had protected them, had provided for them. They had encountered no enemies as they entered the land, as they uh, headed toward the promised land. As we approach this text this morning, there's no time that they had ever had to fight a battle since they'd been set free from Egypt. But once they were delivered from the bondage, now the enemies begin to line up. And it's that way in our life as well, right? Once you step over that line of coming from freedom, from slavery to sin, to freedom in Christ, the enemies will begin to line up and come against you. So God's people would have to battle for what God was going to give them. And we find them in Exodus chapter 17 facing their first battle. They don't have an army. They're not equipped. They've been in slavery for generations. And then it tells us in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8 that the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites came and attacked them. And Moses said to Joshua, this is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the scripture. This is the first time. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Now let's say, who were the Amalekites? Well, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. And if you remember, Esau is the man who in Genesis 25 uh, gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. And so his descendants became the first nation to oppose Israel after they left Egypt. And Amalek and his army were coming against God's people seeking to take them down. Maybe they saw these Amalekites, they were sort of um, scavengers. They were almost like desert pirates and they would move from place to place. And maybe, I don't know, maybe they heard that these people had water. Maybe they heard they've got a rock and water is gushing out of it. And they thought, we're going to go and we're going to take that rock. I don't know why they attacked, but they did. And so Israel was in a battle. They were being attacked. They could see the enemy coming on the horizon. They were going to be attacked. They were in a battle whether they realized it or not. Do you realize that you're in a battle? Church, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And we're in a battle whether we realize it or not. We can stick our head in the sand and act like the battle doesn't exist. But let me tell you, we're in a battle. And we have an enemy that is seeking to bring us down as well. It's why Peter said in the New Testament, we we go to the New Testament, Peter said, Be alert. He said, Get your head up. Uh, Be of sober mind. Get your mind right. He says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What's he doing? Looking for someone that he can devour. We're in a battle. We think if we're fighting a battle, something's wrong. Well, not necessarily. We think it's bad to have to face enemies. Well, look, it's not bad to have to fight battles. He said, you're going to have some battles. It's not bad to have to wage war. We're in a war. It keeps you vigilant. It keeps you strong. And it keeps you alert. If you're not in a battle, maybe it's because you're on the wrong side. (laughs) Maybe you're already taken. Paul said in 1 Timothy, he told the young Timothy, the preacher, he said, fight the good fight of faith. There's a fight. There's a battle. It's a fight of faith. Ian e. Bounds, the great writer, and I'm sure you've probably read some of his stuff whether you realize you have or not. You can read his stuff and be blessed for, for years, <laughs> literally. He said in his book, The Necessity of Prayer, just listen, it's not on the screen. He said, it cannot be stated too often that the life of a Christian is warfare, an intense conflict, a lifelong contest. It is a battle fought against invisible foes who are ever alert and seeking to entrap deceive and ruin the souls of men the bible calls men to life not to a picnic or a holiday it's no pastime or pleasure excursion he says it entails effort wrestling and struggling it demands the putting out of the full energy of the spirit in order to frustrate the foe and to come out at last more than a conqueror it's no primrose path no rose scented flirting from start to finish it is a war They were in a war whether they wanted to be or not. They were in a war whether they were prepared to fight or not. And we all are fighting some battle. We all have our Amalek in our life. Amalek representing everything that comes against God and his people. Amalek, we have them in our life. Some of you are in a family battle. Some are in a marriage battle. I love the brother when he gave the pray for people. It's not always a physical problem. Sometimes it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. Some are fighting for their children. Some are fighting a financial battle. You can't seem to get a handle on the money. We're struggling to make it. Many people at this time are. Some are having a health battle. Sick and have disease. Some are having just a faithfulness battle. (laughs) Right? It's difficult to maintain a strong walk with the Lord. There's an enemy that comes against us. And we have to be ready. But there's a name for an Amalek in your life that overcomes that Amalek, that enemy, that struggle. That name is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord, our banner who gives us the victory. And listen, you can have the victory. Paul looked back on his life after he met Jesus and he said, 2 Timothy, he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. You can have the victory. And so they've got an enemy that's coming against them for the first time. Here it comes. And he says, Joshua, go get some men and get ready to fight. And in verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites tomorrow. He says, I'll stand on the top of the hill with this staff of God in my hands, or this rod that he has used over and over again, a symbolic of the power of God. And I brought a little rod with me this morning just to see. This rod was something that Moses carried in his hands. And often when you read, even to this point and past this point, God would use that rod to symbolize the power that he had. So he says, look, you choose some men. You guys are going to go out and you're going to fight the battle. He says, I'm going to go stand on the top of the hill and I'm going to have the staff of God in my hands. Yeah. Now, any good military man will tell you that whoever has the higher ground always has the upper hand and a strategic advantage in any battle. You always want to have the high ground in a battle, right? Right. So let me me clue you in. At this point, Moses represents the prayer warrior. Moses represents the man who's going to go up to the high ground. And he's going to go with the power of God. And he's always moving to the higher ground. He gets a strategic advantage over this enemy. So Joshua, in verse 10, he goes and fights the Amalekites as Moses is ordered. You can get the picture of, of Joshua and his men in the valley. And here's Moses. He's up on the hill. And, and they're fighting the battle in the valley, and he's fighting the valley, he's fighting the battle on the hilltop. And he goes up, and Joshua they fight as he had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and her, they go to the top of the hill. They're on the hilltop. And as long as Moses held up his hands, as long as he held that rod, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now can you imagine Joshua fighting? And it seems as though, man, we're just we're just taking name taking Names and we're just going forward and we're winning this battle so quickly and then all of a sudden it would just seem like whoa what happened and they begin to push back. I don't know if Joshua was fully aware of everything that was going on on the, on the hilltop. I don't know. But the battle was going back and forth and it was totally based upon the power of God. He's holding up his hands. He's holding up the power of God. He's saying this is what is preeminent. This is what will win the battle. So I want you to see that while Moses was praying Joshua was fighting. You see, if you if you pray, if you, if you pray as though everything depends on God, we should also battle as if everything depends on us. You see, we've got our part to do, but we can't ignore God's part as well. See, someone has said that prayer is not the preparation for the battle. It is the battle. It is the battle. See, so what we see here is that we ought to pray. As if everything depends on him and battle as if everything depends on us. Because Joshua was fighting as much as he could. So sometimes in the battle you feel like you're winning, like Joshua. Sometimes you feel like you're losing. You ever feel that way? I mean, some days, some weeks, man, I'm winning the battle. Man, I'm overcoming sin, the flesh, the world. I'm overcoming. I'm winning the battle. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> some days I'm, I'm, I'm advancing for the kingdom. Some days I'm not. It's just it's a constant struggle, it's a constant push. And once we begin to understand that God is the one who gives us the victory, we begin to learn how to fight the battle. See what was happening on the ground was affected directly by what was happening on the hilltop. We fight in the valley with our hand-to-hand combat, but we fight on the hill with the power of God. And the rod of God was a prayer of appeal to heaven for the intervention of God in the midst of the valley. By holding the rod above his head, Moses was saying, God is over me, and God is over every problem that we face. You see, we do that when we join together here on Sundays, and we worship and we sing. We're saying, God, you are above everything else. You're so great, and you're the King of kings, and you're the Lord of lords, and you are above every other problem that may weigh us down during the week. Sometimes people say, we ignore the part of prayer. And sometimes we just think we don't, know who, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. Well, let's don't overcomplicate it. I think we do that. Let me just get rid of this somehow. We overcomplicate prayer. Don't, don't, don't overdo it. it, it can, it's simple. We can start very simple in prayer. Husbands, pray for your wife. There's nothing better you could do. Wives, Pray for your husbands. We're fighting for marriage, right? Some of us are fighting a marriage battle. Let's pray for each other. Some are fighting for their children. Pray for your children. And children, pray for your parents. It's a difficult time to be a child, a teenager, a student. It's a difficult time to be a parent as well. Pray for your pastor. Pray for their family. Pray for your leaders in the church. Pray for our government authorities. We should pray for them. Maybe. Look, it's um, we talk a lot about. You know, we're talking about authority and pray. Pray for those first responders. Pray for those people. Listen, we talk about a thin blue line. You know, the police. We love our police. We support our police. They provide the protection. God uses that's an authority that God uses, and and we believe in them. But look, I, I don't find it any coincidence that it's right during this time. Of uh, You look back into the spring and still many churches still shut down, not meeting. That all of this unrest and violence breaks out and against authority and against our police. And we talk about this thin blue line. And when that thin blue line breaks, chaos will reign. But let's not ignore, (laughs) we, we don't ignore the thin blue line, but let's not ignore the thin spiritual line as well. Because at exactly the same time, we're not meeting, I mean, not meeting on Easter Sunday. Okay, and look, I get it, but look, there's, don't, don't discount that what was going on on the hilltop didn't affect what was going on in the valley. At the same time, we see all of this break out. There's a thin spiritual line that we must engage in. And that's what will bring the victory. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those who don't know Christ. We wouldn't have to think very long, would we, to know somebody to pray for that needs, that needs Jesus in their life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that list would come real quick, right? We wouldn't have to think very hard. Pray for other believers. You've already been exhorted to do that this morning. Pray for our communities. Pray for your community. Yeah. Pray for our schools, our teachers, those making decisions. It's, it's, it's a difficult time. Pray for those people. We've got chaos. We've got criticism. We've got all this breaking out. Listen, That's in the valley. Let's get on the hilltop and let's pray a little bit for what's going on in these situations. I really believe that when we don't pray, we leave something on the table. We're leaving it on the table, spiritually speaking. We're just leaving it there. Look, 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 there's a lot of good things that won't happen if we don't pray. And there's a lot of bad things that will happen if we don't pray. But conversely, there's a lot of good things that will happen when we do pray. And there's a lot of bad things that won't happen when we do pray. Let's don't leave anything on the table, church. Let's be on that hilltop, depending upon the power of God. Do we spend more time focused on fighting in the valley or appealing to God for His intervention? What we see is that Amalek would succumb to, uh, would succumb in this battle because of heaven had now joined the battle, Jehovah Nisi. So, don't worry about being on the right side, you know, of all the issues that are out there. Everybody wants to be on the right side. Listen, just be on God's side. <laughs> right? And you'll be on the right side. Just choose His Word. Just choose His way. And you'll be on the right side every single time. Because He is the righteousness. So we see when Moses' hands grew tired in verse 12, they took a stone and they would put it under him and he would sit on it. So you've got this idea of him. They're almost like making him a, a, a lazy boy made out of stone so he can keep his arms up or something. Aaron and her they held up his hands, his, his two... Uh, supporters and one on other side, one on one side, one on the other side, that his hands remain steady until sunset. I mean, can you imagine holding up that rod, holding up that under that pressure? I mean, this was from sun up to sunset. Can you imagine all day long? I mean, we couldn't sit here 10 minutes and hold our hands up. So don't criticize Moses. All right. It was a, it was a battle, yeah. but he had those that supported him. He had those that come around him. And you need those people in your life that'll come beside you and help hold your hands up because it's going to get hard. Listen, I'm sure during that day, Moses got discouraged. He said, I can't do it anymore. We get discouraged as well. are times you just say, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm finished. Sure, we think that way. There gets times in, in, the, in the faith that we get tired and we get discouraged. There gets times where you don't want to go to church. You don't want to study the Bible. The devil discourages us. We don't want to witness to that. Family member, or that classmate, or that co worker, that one we've been talking to about Jesus for a long time, and all of a sudden we just sort of just give up on it. Say, I'm just tired, I don't want to do it anymore. Listen, you'll get tired in the battle because Satan and his forces, let me tell you something, they don't give up. They don't take any time off. And you'll need an Aaron and a her to hold you up when you're fight, when you're too tired to fight on your own. Because at first you can be strong, but after a while you get tired and you need people in your life who are willing to appeal up there while you battle down there. So verse 13, Joshua, here it is, victory overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So they won the battle with the sword. Victory that takes place in the valley is really won on the hilltop. The outcome of any battle you fight in your life will not be determined by the battle that you can see, but by the battle you can't see, ultimately. It's that unseen world that's that's just as real or more real than the world we see. 1 John 5.4 tells us that this is the victory that overcomes the world. What is it? Our faith. He said this is, this is what overcomes the world. This is what wins the victory. There's this unseen, unseen spiritual battle. And it's how you win the physical, visible battle. We're called to battle in two places at one time. We, yes, we've got a battle in on, 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 this life that we live in. Yes, that we can see, but there's this battle going on where we can't see. There's the spiritual battle that we don't see. And that can be hard to understand how we're called to be in two places at one time. But listen, it's become a little easier to understand for a lot of people the last six months or so, hadn't it? See, there, there's this thing that a lot of people we've had to learn to use now called Zoom or WebEx or whatever it is that they're using. And many of us have had to get engaged with this, right? I mean, even our kids are having to get involved with this. I mean, and what happens? You literally can like be in two places at one time. I mean, I'm sitting there at home on a meeting with people from all over the nation talking and praying. And, and I'm, I'm here, but I'm there as well. I'm with them. So we begin to see how in the physical we see the spiritual begin to come out. We can be two places at one time. The battle, we're in one place, but the battle may be won in another location. And we have to learn to fight in both. We have to learn to fight in the heavenly realms, the unseen. Because for everything seen, there is an unseen. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians. Go back to the New Testament. Look, what did he say? Ephesians 6. You guys know this passage, but let's think about it in this context. Finally, my brethren, what did he say? Be strong in the Lord and in the power, power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the tricks of the devil, the enemy. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What we can see but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. That's what we can't see with our physical eyes. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He said, even though you don't see it, you better put on the armor because it's coming. Take up the whole armor of God that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to still stand. Then he gives us that armor, and I can't don't have time to go into all these. You guys know them. But stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, you better know the truth. Yes. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you better know some righteousness. You better put it on. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Yes. Above all, take up that shield of faith, yes. Yes. with which you can able to quench all the fiery darts of the of the evil one. When those darts come at you, you've got that defense. And he said, take up the helmet of salvation. You better put on the mind of God. You better put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now notice here, it's all defensive. The armor is defensive until the very end. Then he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is an offensive weapon. So he says, yeah, you better be ready to defend yourself, but you also better be ready to take up and go on the offense. This sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's the sword of the Spirit. He says, you better get ready. And then he goes on and says, in verse 18, Ephesians 6, Pray always, he says, have the Word of God, then you better pray always with all prayer and supplication In the spirit, that's the offense. Be watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Listen, prayer isn't for defense. Prayer is for offense. When you read this, you see it's all defensive except for those two. So I want us to be ready not to just be on the defensive as God's people, as His church. We're not on the defense. Listen, yeah, we defend the truth. But listen, we're ready to step forward into the offense and go and take the battle to the enemy. But listen, notice that Joshua, he couldn't have succeeded without Moses. And Moses could not have prevailed without the support of Aaron and her. See how it takes everybody? Moses got tired. He got weary. He needed men to come alongside, hold him up. So you see, if there's no her and there's no Aaron, then Moses fails. But if Moses fails, then Joshua fails. And if Joshua fails... Israel fails. And if Israel fails, the battle is lost. Listen, this was the first battle coming out of bondage. You know, just think about it. I'm just sort of running with it a little bit here. What if they had lost this battle? What if they had just been defeated and Amalekites just wiped them out right there? There would have never been the spies. There wouldn't have been the 40 years. There wouldn't have been crossing the Jordan. There wouldn't have been taking the land, taking God's promised land. The, the, the Jewish people, God's people, would have never been in that land. Let's not forget now. I, I, I go there to Israel. We go over to Jerusalem. We're going next March. That's where our, our Savior was born, <laughs> of, those, of, of, of the Jewish line. That's where he died, is in that promised land. That's where he was buried. That's where he rose again, like we sang this morning. Listen, if God's people are defeated right here, and God's got a plan, I know, but let's just think about it. What happens down the line. This was not just a one-off battle. (laughs) It was very important. So Joshua defeated the Amalekites Amalekites, with the edge of his sword. God was empowering them all. He was empowering them all. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll, this victory, this battle of victory. He said, write it on a scroll as something to be remembered. And I want you to make sure that Joshua hears it. In other words, yeah, Joshua's been down there. I want you to make sure you write down what went on up here in the spiritual battle up on the hilltop with the rod and Aaron and Her, and how all this, I want you to write this down. And I want you to make sure Joshua, the younger generation, I want you to make sure he knows what happened. Because there's going to be some other battles coming down the road. <laughs> and he's going to need to know how this battle was won so he'll know how to win those battles in the future. He says, write it down so it can be remembered. Make sure Joshua hears it. He says, because uh, I'm going to completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So he said, so you better make a name for this. Now that's yet to happen. David fought the Amalek. Saul fought the Amalek. Listen, this is a battle that rages on, but it will come. So Moses, he wrote it down, I'm sure. Listen, when God tells you to write something down, what do you do? You write it down. <laughs> you better have a notebook somewhere where you can write something down. Because you'll forget. I forget. Do you? He wrote it down. And then he went a step further and he built an altar to remember this, this location by. So that anybody else coming that way would be able to understand what went on. So they could give thanks to God and set up a place of remembrance. Moses built an altar. And he called it What? The Lord is my banner. In in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Nisi. That's our Southern English version of the Hebrew, all right? Jehovah Nisi. That's what he named the altar. He built the altar and he named the altar, the Lord is my banner. He was creating a place of remembrance, a celebration of victory, an expression of thanks. He was making a declaration. To any follower of Jehovah, any follower of Jesus from now on could share going forward that the Lord is my banner and we are the Lord's. It was a declaration of who God is and what He had done. It was a visible reminder that Israel marched under the banner of a sovereign God. The altar was not given, that He built an altar, and look, if we built an altar today, we would build an altar and we'd put Moses there. We'd build an altar and it'd be Joshua. This was his first major battle, first battle that he won, and we would defend it to the hilt. Right? <laughs> these battles, the, these these people. But no, he didn't build it. Didn't, Moses didn't build an altar to himself. He didn't build an altar for Joshua. This was a holy war. And Israel didn't even have a, a, a standing army. So the only one that deserved glory for this victory was God. He was the only one. He was the only one they could give victory to and could give honor to. So we enjoy the blessings of victory, but only God gets the praise for the victory. And he said, because hands were lifted against the thrones of the Lord, the Lord will be against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Saul, Joshua fought him, Saul fought him, David fought him, and to this very day, there's a war in Israel against the Amalekites. That's our enemy. You're never finished with Amalek. It, 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 Amalek is just still there. And until we go to heaven, we're going to be fighting the enemy. And the bad news is you're no match for Amalek, for your enemy, without Jehovah Nisi. But the good news is, Amalek is no match for Jehovah Nisi. That's the good news. Amen. See, either you conquer Amalek or Amalek conquers you. It's a fight to the finish. It's, if not a fight to the death. Jesus said in John 16, he said, in this world you'll have trouble. Right? But take heart. What do he say? Because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Sort of reminds me of old, you know, professional wrestling, right? When they went to the ring, they already knew who was going to win, right? The rest of it was just orchestrated. It was just put on, right? They already knew that. See, and that's the way this is. We're we're not fighting for a victory. We're actually fighting what? From the victory. We already know the victory. We already know the winner. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We already have the victory. Our dependence on God is our banner and victory is in truth a dependence on all that Christ has accomplished for us in His death on a cross. In fact, Jesus makes this exact reference. You remember, He's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It's night time. It was the first example of Nick at night, right? It was night, and Nicodemus came to Jesus. He came, and he asked questions, and Jesus gave him answers. And we all love John chapter 3 in verse... Sixteen, but if, if you and we we go past that sometimes, but if you read verse thirteen, verses fourteen and fifteen, right before verse sixteen, Jesus makes reference to what M- M- Moses does later on. Again, he uses the stick, and they create a banner, and they lift up a snake on a banner, so because people were being snake bitten, right. And when they would look at that that banner being lifted up, they would be healed of that snake bite. It's in Numbers chapter 21. And what does Jesus refer to when Nicodemus comes to him at night? He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's 14, 15, and 16. Christ's death on the cross is that paradoxical emblem of a banner of victory over our our ultimate enemies of sin and death. And so we learn in the midst of our battles to trust in God's victory accomplished in the death of, of His Son, Jesus, And we become deeply connected to Him. We come, become deeply connected to the community and the church through His love and through its mutual support. And we realize that like Moses and the Israelites, that God is our banner of victory. And in doing so, we learn to call Him Jehovah Nisi, the one who goes before, the one who flies above, and the one who comes behind us in victory. It all ties back in last thing I'll share with you is a little quick story from history. Through history, you know most wars are tilted by a single battle. You can look back and you find one battle and you go, that's where it turned. 1944, D-Day saw the Allied troop forces on Normandy's beaches. Um, That turned it. In the Second World War in 1863, the Battle of Gettysburg tilted the Civil War. Well, you go back a little further to 1815, and Napoleon, the commander of Napoleon, he was sweeping across Europe, and he was occupying every country as he went. And that was his goal, was to take over the world. He was going to take, take the world over. And they were doing it until they met their Waterloo, that's where that phrase comes from, in Belgium, where the British finally defeated them, and they got a decisive victory. So as the story goes... After his loss at this place named Waterloo in Belgium, Napoleon Bonaparte gathered his generals together, as he would often do after battle. They would come together and assess where they were. They would look at a map. He had this cloth map, apparently, that he would unfurl on a table that they could look at the map and see the land they'd conquered, where they were going, where the enemy was, where the battles were. And so the story goes that after Waterloo, he called together his generals to discuss what was happening. And his ambition to take over the world, it was now evident after Waterloo that it wasn't going to happen. It was going to go unmet. So he unfurled this map that covered this area of the world at Waterloo. And they say that he would say to his men, apparently on the map there was a, at Waterloo, there was a red spot there right at the area of Waterloo where they had just defeated. On the map, there was like a red blot. And he would look at his men and point at that map and say, if it were not for that one red spot at Waterloo, I would be the emperor of the entire world. And he became maniacal about it, even in the days becoming past. If it wasn't for this one red spot, he would point at Waterloo, that red spot on the map. If it wasn't for this one red spot, I would be ruling the world. And of course, we must think that Satan, he must spend a lot of time pointing to a red spot on the map called Calvary Amen. and declaring, if it weren't for that one red spot, I'd be the owner of all the souls. Thank God for that one red spot at Calvary. And listen, when he was lifted up, that is the banner. That is Jehovah Nisi. That is the Lord, our victory. That's the Lord, our banner. He goes before us. He is over us and he's behind us. And that's where our victory is. Amen, church? Amen. He's the Lord, our banner. Let's pray together. Well, we take just a moment to be still before you. Lord, to recognize today that we have an enemy. And we have enemies that come against us in many different forms and fashions. And Lord, today, may our dependence in battle not be upon our might or our power or our strength or any of those around us, not depending upon ourselves alone. But Lord, first and foremost, depending upon you and your power and your might and your spirit. Lord, today we depend upon you and your power. We hold up the declaration, our hands lifted high, saying, oh God, we are under you, our banner. Lord, today we love you Lord, we pray that you would call us into a deeper level and a higher level of spiritual warfare. Lord, that we would not ignore what we can't see and be preoccupied by what we do see. But, oh Lord, that our spiritual eyes would be opened to see all the ways that you're working around us. Lord, may we be faithful in the battle on the ground, but may we also be faithful in the battle on the hilltop. Now, as we finish today, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you don't know this Jehovah that we speak of and His Son Jesus, who came and gave His life at this place called Calvary, today is the day of salvation. My friend, today, turn your life to Him. Know Him. Right where you're sitting right now, you could say, oh God, I'm turning away from my way and I'm turning to Your way. I'm not going my way anymore. I'm going Your way. Oh God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the places that I failed You. Lord, I turn and walk another way following in Your righteousness. Today is the day of salvation, my friend."